Good morning, good afternoon and good evening. Welcome to the Adapt and Improve podcast. I'm your host, Chris James. On this episode, I chat to my first international guest, rap artist Half Dozen. I stumbled across Half Dozen through his work with Atmosphere, who are probably my favourite hip-hop group. We talk about his relationship with them, his music tastes, experiencing police brutality firsthand, and the impact George Floyd's murder had on his home city of Minneapolis. This is Adapt and Improve with Half Dozen. Let's get into it. Jordan, thank you for coming on, man, and and thank you for being my first American guest on the show. <laughs> nice, that's tight. That's a good look. Obviously, I'm from the UK, where it's currently 11 p.m. What time is it over there in Minneapolis? Well, right now we're at 5:13 p.m. My wife's family is actually from England, so. Oh really? Oh cool. Yeah. Where was your mom from, babe? Or your grandma? I mean, I'm sorry. Leicester. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That's about an hour away from me. We scheduled this episode at this time, firstly, obviously, due to this time difference of, of six hours, but also because you mentioned you may have teacher duties. So what is it you do for a job? Um, right now, my main job is being a teacher for my daughter because we are obviously quarantining from schools. So ah. at least in Minnesota, and that's where I live, obviously, uh, in Minneapolis. And so during the day, I'm a teacher and I help my daughter do all of her schoolwork related stuff. And then in the evenings, I'm actually, I've been sober for 13 years, you know, you know, or recovery for 13 years. So I actually work at a treatment facility here in Minneapolis with uh, addicts and uh, alcoholics. So. Oh, real, man. Yeah, I bet that's a, a real purposeful job. If, if you subscribe to the lifestyle that I have, uh, it's, you know, it's what you're supposed to do in order to maintain a healthy way of living. It's worked for me. Like I said, uh, I used to get in a lot of trouble, like pretty frequently and since i've been in recovery i've never once gotten in trouble so it's worked out for me you know and was that just drink or was that drugs as well it was both like i never did uh anything with a needle or smoked crack or or uh or did heroin or or meth but outside of those three i mean there's not much that i didn't do so uh, that might answer this this question i don't know um you have you have two albums out we're alliance 2013 2020 you released visceral what's the reason for the long gap well realistically um like starting a family and i have two other children uh before my daughter i i, I never was like actively with either of their mothers so you know the relationships there are kind of strained to some degree and i didn't want that to happen with this one i just wanted to be like completely hands on and, and uh you know actually have a family and do it the right way from the jump and like put all of myself into it so there was i, I made a bunch of songs and and uh I got a beat pack from Ant, like, I don't know, must have been three years ago now. And I had like, I don't know, it was like nine songs written to Ant Beats. And I was writing all those lyrics on a iPod, like the the big one that you could, you know, did, like had the notepad and everything. All right, yeah. And it crashed. So wow. I lost like an album's worth of material that, you know, would have been produced, but like, you know, one of, one of my favorite producers all time and so you know that like kind of threw me for a loop and kind of put me in a bad head space but you know i just got back to it and was like you know what mom you know i either gotta like do this or 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 hang it up so 
kind of put my head down and, and got back to work with the guy who produced my previous project, Dimitri, and, and a couple other cats had feature production on there. There's one from Ant and then one from uh, another guy from here named the Gons. When I finally felt like I had enough to like, okay, I, I'm comfortable putting this out and I put it out. But if, you know, if I don't feel like I'm up to snuff, like I just won't do it. Cause there's nothing worse than somebody who isn't good at something. Like I can't, I've never been one who's been, I can't watch like American Idol and see <laughs> people who aren't good at something, like go try to do it in public. Cause that like, I get embarrassed for them. So, you know, <laughs> when I felt like I had enough material where I was like, okay, I, I can stand behind this. I, you know, I believe in it. Then I was like, all right, we'll put it out there. Yeah. So that's, that's probably why the big hiatus. Yeah. If it's, if it's not perfect or, or near perfect, then I don't think these things should be put out in the world, especially with how, saturated hip-hop is as a whole yeah i'm a little bit upset that we're not going to hear these uh half dozen tracks over amp beats though because i imagine that's an opportunity that people would kill for he's always been you know both of us you know both of us have always been super good to me and but you know and is you know he's a consummate worker like he's always working and so you know if he has stuff eventually that you know is not being used for any of his other collaborators that he all he always knows that i want about this piece you know <laughs> he I, I really dig that dude so. yeah he's uh he's fantastic on the boards man um obviously you've done a number of tracks with uh with slug did you ever discuss releasing either of your albums on slug's label ramsayers you know i have not early on because i met Sean in 2012 and uh like back back during that time we had a really like a really vibrant scene here like the underground rap scene here was really like we had a lot of like cats who I would consider like if we had been in other places maybe like if if some of our like uh you know like more animated guys had been from places like Atlanta or whatnot or, or, or different cities I think they could have done a little bit better. Unfortunately, like when you're in Minnesota, the vast majority of people here are uh, like in the inner city, it's it's super eclectic and there's a, there's a fairly good mix of everything. But then once you get out to the rural areas, if you are not, um, just to put it blatantly, if you're not a white person, then it doesn't really get accepted very much. So like where if, if, you were, if you were a person of color and you lived in, you know, Florida or Texas or Atlanta or, uh, you know, a, a bigger hub like LA, New York, New Jersey, like places, Cleveland, or, you know, somewhere with a, with a vast amount of people, you know, I think it would be, it would be a lot easier for Minnesota artists to get on. What happened in my case is that I put out some stuff, I put out a video and actually like, I didn't even, I'd met Sean before, but I didn't know him and he didn't know me. Uh, but I put out a video and he he found it. I guess he just was like searching Minnesota rap or something. And uh, and he's the one who like got in contact with me through mutual friends. And I think uh, I think early on, you know, the thought was that by you know the general consensus of everyone here was like, oh, he's gonna become a rhyme sayer. But you know, I never had that talk with anyone over there at the label. Um, I've just always been really good friends with them. The minute that I met Sean, we. Were, recorded two songs or three or four songs like within the first like you know a couple weeks of knowing each other and just because of that like I think he appreciated the way that I you know made music and I've always been a fan of his so you know it was kind of easy for me to do and you know you're like rapping with somebody who you looked up to for a long time so I think because of that we just had a really close you know relationship when it came to music and then because of that like we've just been real close ever since so you mentioned a work ethic there. They churn out an album every year, near enough, sometimes one and a half albums a year. Yeah, I've never seen anything like it. 
you know, in terms of prolific writing, there's, I don't think there's ever been, I mean, obviously, you know, I don't know the work habits of everybody who makes rap music, but I've never seen anyone write as much music that they would be comfortable putting out other than him. I think he's, you know, maybe the most prolific writer ever in the history of this in terms of like, oh, he made a, he made a project and it's actually going to come out. Yeah, for sure. So why did you choose Half Dozen as your rap name? So 612 is the area code from Minneapolis. Uh, also, like, I'm a little bit older than most kids. So I'm from an older era where, like, I battle too. You know, I travel and battle and do all that stuff. So, like, I'd rather be, you know, carried by six than judged by 12. And I'm 6'6". Six, six. So, I mean, you know, there's a bunch of different reasons why Half Dozen just made sense, you know? So... It, it, it there was a bunch that went into it, and you know, obviously, like I was trying to be all metaphorical, and, you, <laughs> you know what I mean, and make it really cool or whatever. And I, you know, I get a lot of shit from certain people who were like, "You need to spell it normal." Like, nah, but then that's not, you know, I'm not from that era. Like, I want to spell it how I want to spell it. So. Yeah, no, it's it's a good. I, I always like hearing the history behind names. So. Yeah, yeah. I read that your father played guitar, your mother was into soul, yeah. your grandmother sang gospel. Like that, that's insane. What yeah. actual effect did that have on you musically? Is that an early starting age? <laughs> you know, um, I think more than anything, it just you know it gave me a a better respect for because like I grew up and you know like I said in my household uh, early on, I I was with my just my mom and dad. And my dad would have been my main influence. Uh, so, you know, I liked, I listened to a lot of classic rock just because that's what he liked. He liked, you know, he was a huge Hendrix fan. So much of fact, like we just recently got a dog and my wife knows how much my dad loved Hendrix. So we actually named the dog Hendrix. Nice. But, you know, like I grew up, you know, around a lot of different, you know, musical interests and, and, uh, and musical tastes. And I think, uh, you know, it just led to me kind of, you know, just liking a, a, like a hodgepodge or, or a more eclectic, you know, grouping of, of uh, sounds and things than, than the average person, especially, you know, like I grew up in the, in the eighties and the nineties where, you know, it was a uh, gangster rap and the crack epidemic, you know what I mean? So it was uh, a lot of my friends, like, that's all, you know, yeah. that's all they listened to. It wasn't uh, like we didn't in, in Minnesota here, like the super like gangster dudes weren't even listening to like East coast rap back then. Like, I remember, you know, people being like, oh, you got to listen to this Nas dude. And, you know, you're only only around what what you're privy to. And, you know, my cats listen to, you know, Pac and and, and, and West Coast artists, like, you know, even old school cats like Spice One and, and, and those dudes and E-40. And so, like, that was my big, like, my first, you know, or NWA. Like, those were my big, like, first inspirations. And then, obviously, as I got older and my musical palette refined, I was like, Man, I missed a lot of good music by like completely being like, fuck the East Coast dudes, you know? <laughs> so I went back and I caught a lot of that, you know? And obviously, some of those guys are some of the greatest that ever do it. I and mean, that's where this thing was birthed from. It's uh, it's good to go to the source, you know, and listen to that too and catch up on that. You know, I'm just a fan of music. So even like this, the new wave of stuff, uh, I don't ever want to be pigeonholed like, oh, you're an old head. Because I may, I may think that I personally sound better over a person, uh, over a certain sound. and and not wanting to like uh, go outside of too far outside of my comfortability level. But I always want to have appreciation for the next generation. Cause I remember my dad telling me like, Oh, you know, rap won't be around in five years. And now rap is pop. And it'll, I don't know that it can ever change. I don't think there's, I don't foresee another musical genre being invented within the next 10 to 20 years. It's going to usurp it. I think it's just going to be that way. And uh, you can tell now because yeah. pop music 
they want to sound like hip hop. I don't ever want to be an old head and be like, oh, I don't like the way the new stuff sounds. You know, I'm not, it's not necessarily like my cup of tea or the stuff I want to talk about, but I have to respect it because I remember, you know, I've seen it happen over and over again throughout the years. So yeah, constant evolution. Oh, I was going to say, I'm real, I'm really into a couple UK artists. Like, uh, okay. Like I've been, I've been listening to Stormzy for a long time. And I know now he's like, now he's like Jay Z over (laughs) there, but I was listening to him years ago when he wasn't like necessarily big and uh that dave kid is really exciting to me too some of the stuff i've seen him do like that uh that award show performance was amazing it's strange man because i um i've been aware of uk hip-hop for a long time pre that it was all american stuff and all my roots are american more boom bappy type things and yeah yeah i'm actually not a big fan of stormzy or dave stormzy's okay I think I think he's good, and he's definitely very big over here. But I wouldn't have expected you for two UK hip hop artists if you were going to quote two. I would have not had you down as Stormzy and Dave. <laughs> <laughs> grime is just now becoming a thing that's like you know generally like now we have New York grime, and it's not quite the same as like what y'all are doing over there. You have to remember like so during my era, like people were trying to catch up to like there was a lot of stuff that like I didn't like Wu Tang because I didn't understand what they were talking about. You know, I'm a Midwest kid, so like hearing all that East Coast sling, and I, I think, you know, Ghostface is one of the dopest MCs to me, and Raekwon as well. But the other members of Wu-Tang, slang wasn't so East Coast heavy or New York borough, like in the hood heavy, that it was easier for me to understand Method Man or You God or, you know, like, so for those those two in particular, like Raekwon and Ghost, I was like, yo, I think they're hella dope but I don't know half the shit they're talking about. <laughs> so I think that same effect is taking place with a lot of like the underground, like the grimier cats from the UK, whether it be, uh, I think for me, so Stormzy, it's easier for me to understand what he's talking about right. because he's doing that, he's writing from, from a perspective of trying to not necessarily only be a UK rapper anymore, you yeah. know? And, and I think that's an intelligent move, you know? Uh, and, and I think Dave is, you know, obviously a newer version of that with a slightly different sound, like more like, you know, trends towards like the trap sound and stuff, uh, more so than uh, Stormzy, obviously. But he's also writing his rhymes in a way where, like, I don't have to, like, get an urban dictionary to look up what he's talking about in order to understand yeah. his raps, you know? And that, and that makes it, for me, I'm like, oh, that's tight. You know, like, okay, I get that. No. Well, that's interesting. I didn't know they were doing grime uh, in the U.S. I'll have to check some of that out. Well, just just New York. So, like that, you know that. So the dude Pop Smoke, who's you know like become a superstar posthumously now, what he does is called New York grime. Okay. And so that's what I mean when I say grime. It's not you know the traditional, what what y'all would define as grime. Okay, I'll make a note of him. I'll check him out. So I first discovered you in 2020 after Atmosphere posted the video for your track, Guilty. Absolutely love it. It's really hard hitting, very strong message. Thank you. What inspired it? So, you know, obviously I am a black man in America. That is the first thing I was raised. Like I'm obviously biracial. So my mother was Caucasian and my my father was black, but my grandmother, so his mother, who is who I was really raised by, because my mom and dad were kind of drug addicts and and running on the streets. So I was kind of like, for a few years, 
before my parents like got real bad into the, you know, into the drug scene, I was raised by my mom and dad about about five, they got a divorce and they both kind of just like went off and did their own things for a while. You know, my mom was like in and out of my life. My dad was present just because I lived with his mother. So I saw him quite free, you know, lived there with us, but he was still like, you know, suffering from addiction and stuff. And uh, so I was raised by black folks, you know, even though I'm, I'm a biracial kid, because that's what I was around. You are kind of a product of your environment. So I gravitated more towards the black side of my family. Because of that, there's certain things that you learn. I remember the talk. I was like five years old. And even my mom knew this. And she was a white woman from, you know, a super small town in Minnesota. But she told me, like, if the police stop you, it's yes or no, sir. Kiss your ass, sir. And that was just the rule going forward. And, you know, she because they didn't pull no punches and they were honest with me. And told, told me, like, if you're disrespectful to the police because of what you look like, like, they'll take you down to the river and leave you there. Because there was no body cans in the in the 80s and 90s. Like, you end up hurt somewhere or, you know, or worse. Given how much the internet has done for the world or, or, you know, smartphones and given us the ability to like, not fight back, but use the tools that are at your disposal to make sure that maybe some of the injustices that have been perpetrated on people, you know, throughout the, throughout centuries are not done to us now. I think that's a super useful tool and that we have to get innovative in ways like that to counteract some of this stuff. It's just something that's permeated throughout American society since the inception of this country. I mean, this, you know, a lot of this stuff was built on the backs of slaves. So I think because of that, this way of thinking or these ideals are passed down. So it's even being perpetrated on people subconsciously now, where it's like, well, you may not think of someone as less than or whatever, but uh, if subconsciously you're taught that it was in books that we were subhuman, that black folks were not quite human and that they had DNA variances or whatever by, you know, and that's like, Marxist stuff or whatever, but you know, so people actually believed that. So I think, uh, you know, knowing that and having experienced police brutality myself growing up in an at-risk environment, it's just, an, it's just a, a normal thing for us. We understand that. Whereas like now America finally woke up and, and has a bunch of allies, you know, who are not black people who are speaking about it in order to get it attention. And it, obviously I'm grateful. It's just it's sad that it took that long. So a song like that is just dedicated to, you know, like the truths that we know, we hold, we we know to hold, like that's how things work. Obviously I wrote a song about it and it just so happens the George Floyd incident took place. And, the, and that's not the first or anything, but I think we finally got to that point with between Trayvon Martin, Sandra Bland, you know, what's happening with, with Yana Taylor's case, like where all that led and finally came to a head with George Floyd. And I also think that the fact that we're in a pandemic and there's a lockdown is really what led, like pushed everybody over the edge because now everybody's hyper-focused. Before, when you have your own things going on, everybody's not captured by its screen or what's on the internet. So I think because we had, everybody had been on lockdown and then this, that happens, it made everyone really look at it because it was, it dominated the news that brought more attention to it than it would have normally got. Like the song was, I wrote that song before any of that happened. Right. But when that happened, I'm like, I got to shoot a video and I have to use, you know, like I'm from here, I'm from where it happened that like that shit is going to change the world. Obviously we still need more, more avenues created and we need to push more, but that's kicked off the spark. And that's, that's crazy. Yeah, for sure. I was going to move on to, to George Floyd and obviously you living in the, in the same area. Yeah. Uh, and 
having done a little bit of research, I know there's sort of frequent cases of police misconduct in Minneapolis. Yeah. And you just mentioned you, you've been involved or witnessed something firsthand. So my neighborhood was Woodier, which is actually what my first album is. That's why it's called Woodier Alliance. I grew up in Woodier, which was uh, one of the first neighborhoods to accept low-income housing. And that's, you know, that's government-funded section, you know, what, what we call Section 8 here. Yeah. And so being that my neighborhood was one of the first that was ever approved for, we got, when, when cats migrated, I think first it was from California. And so we got a lot of gangs and Minnesota never had gangs before that, you know, so we got bloods and Crips and then the Crips or the bloods kind of moved out into it, like a couple neighborhoods over it's called the Phillips neighborhood. And then my neighborhood became like a Crip and a GD neighborhood. Cause then we got a huge influx of uh, low income families from Chicago and that brought GDs and vice versa. So it, it was like, we went from having no gangs like four years before that to having all of the fucking, all the gangs, all the, like the big gangs in America, like really quickly. And, uh, you know, obviously for the people who lived here, that was kind of like shell shock. We didn't grow up in that environment and we kind of had to like get acclimated to it on the fly yeah. and learn how to navigate that. So, uh, there was a lot of poverty and like crack hit really hard here. But my neighborhood was the third precinct, like I said, and that's that was a police station that was there. And uh, we had undercover cops. I mean, we were 12-year-old kids, like, playing basketball. And obviously, like, we would smoke cigarettes and, and probably smoke joints or something like that back then. Or, you know, have, like, someone stole a beer or a, or a little, like, pint of something from their folks or something. And, you know, we weren't bad kids. We weren't criminals or anything yet. And I remember on more than one occasion... Like, because of the hyper, you know, I think it just put the police on alert with all the gangs and stuff. So they just assumed that we were a gang. And I mean, there was more than one occasion when they, you know, they pull up on us. I'm 10 or 12 years old, draw guns on us, beat a couple of us up real bad if we talked back. And I was never one of those ones because I told you about the talk my mom had with me. I just knew not to ever say anything like that to the police officer because that's what it results in. And, uh, so unfortunately I wasn't able, I didn't, I never got like, you know, really whooped by them. Um, but I saw kids get, you know, beat up by grown men with badges and there's no recourse. You know, what do you say? Like you go home and tell your mom, like all oh, the police beat me up and you know, her response because she gave you the talk is what did you do? When really the response should be, it doesn't matter what you did. You know, the police aren't supposed to abuse their power in that way, but they've done it for so long without being checked ever or held to account that it just becomes the norm. It's a normal, it's a normal functioning thing. So it doesn't even get questioned in the black community. And now when people have to see it because of the internet, thank God, now it becomes everybody's problem. And you have to really look at it like, whoa, that is wrong. Cause you hear about it and you assume, oh, it's not, that's not your reality. How can you relate to it? But when you see it on, you know, with your own two eyes, now you understand what we are saying. And I, and I don't get me wrong. I've never experienced police brutality where like, they've put me in the hospital, but I've definitely been punched and kicked or had my arm put, you know, behind my back so hard that I felt like my shoulder was going to separate. And it's just basically because I'm a big dude who looks imposing to them. So they assume that, I, you know, that I'm going to be violent or whatever. And that's not the case always. So Jesus, mom. Yeah. It's mostly just the abuse of power, you know, like, you know, there's an old saying, you know, 
absolute power corrupts. You know, if power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So you have if you those no checks and balances in place and you don't have to answer for any of your transgressions, what do you think happens? What happens to bullies who never get beat up? You know, or no or no one ever stands up to them? Yeah. They become mega bullies. It's the same ideal, just on a grander scale, obviously. Yeah, of course. It's surreal to hear that firsthand, man. These yeah. incidents obviously have a, a big impact. Well, looking at George Floyd, uh, what impact did George's murder have on, on your community specifically? I mean, my parents were, like the easiest way for me to describe them were kind of like, they were like hippie gangsters. So my dad was like a peace-loving dude but he happened to also like sell drugs and, you know, we, he grew up in a weird era. So it was like they, when they were young, they were hippies. And then as they got older, these drugs hit and, and you know, your neighborhood went from like, just kind of poor to like what people call like, quote unquote, like ghetto or hood. You know what I mean? It went from like, just being the kind of a poverty stricken area to being like, it's dangerous. And like, there's drugs everywhere. Because of that, there's gang activity and prostitution ramps up in those kind of environments, you know? So there's a lot of crazy, you know, moving parts going on. For my community, like, you know, I grew up where activism was like a thing. My parents talked about that, or, you know, like to just, you know, telling me how to conduct myself or, or standing up for myself, but doing it in a way that wasn't necessarily like gonna get me hurt or whatever. Um, so for me, I thought this generation, I was like, man, these kids are just, it's everything's the internet. There's kind of a passive aggressiveness that comes along with that. So I see, you know, cause I have, you know, I'm on the internet obviously, cause I, I make music, I need to get it out to people and I don't have a label. So I have to use these mediums in order to put music out. But I don't like a lot of the, just a lot, like the general ideals that are like portrayed on there. Like, I'm, you know, I'm not real big on people talking crazy to one another online, like, or putting their own business out there. Like with, that's, you know, what I would consider personal stuff. So for me, I thought this generation was kind of like, oh man, we're, we're in for it. Like these kids aren't really on shit, but the way that they took to the movement, as soon as that happened and mobilized and actually got out and did marches and pushed back against the system, harder than I ever would have anticipated. I was just, I guess I was just like blown away, really blown away by the young people. Just judging on, I guess, you know, on face value, what I saw from like online interactions and whatnot, I was like, ah, oh, these kids are all passive aggressive and everybody's super, you know, politically correct. But the way that they mobilized, and I mean mobilized, cause I was at the epicenter here, like, you know, we had stuff you only see in war movies rolling around on the city streets for three, four weeks here. Dudes in caravans of Humvees with the 50 cows on top, choppers over your head all night, nonstop. And these kids are still out marching and protesting. And I, I was, I guess I was just like, man, they are with the shit for real. They're ready to like push back and be like, fuck the system. And so that was to me, I was like, man, that shit's inspiring. And that's, you know, really a big reason why I was like, I gotta shoot this video. And it's, you know, it's gotta, it's gotta focus on this, but I didn't want to show yeah, footage of actual riots because, you know, I don't want to ever put anybody in a situation because of my art that puts them in danger. And I didn't want to show footage of like people doing really processing, but they obviously want to per perpetrate it as a riot. I didn't want to get anybody on film doing anything like that that could have potentially got them in trouble. So I, I had to do it in a nuanced way that kind of exhibited the things that, that I wanted to convey.
without putting actual footage where, you know, I could be responsible for someone getting arrested. I wanted to do it from that aspect. And that was important to me to do it that way because I am a child of, you know, hippies who push back and, you know, during NAM and, and all that. And I don't want to ever like contribute to state sanction, arresting or violence perpetrated, you know, because we still got people from, from who are here for the RNC when Bush ran who are in jail for quote unquote terrorism. And all they did was put out flyers and print pamphlets for people, you know, and they're like, they're in prison still. Like, so I didn't want to contribute to that. So I shot the video from a different perspective and try to convey my message without using actual footage of people who I was really inspired to do the video by. Yeah, yeah, of course. I think it was it was done in a very tasteful fashion. I don't, you know, I'm yeah. assuming a lot of the people feature were friends and family members. All friends and family, all people who are either very, very dear, if, if they're not my family, they're very dear friends of my family or, or people who I hold, you know, a high and high level of regard. So either way, that makes them acquaintances at, at the at the very least who I, who I have a vast amount of respect for or friends who I consider very close to me and my family and or family. So, yeah, it was just, you know, because I want to ask anybody to come out who doesn't know that I'm going to be responsible with their health. That's a difficult situation to put someone in. And uh, like I said, I don't have label money back. I mean, so I have to do these things on kind of, you know, on the nip and tuck. Like I have to do them like close to breast. So, I, you know, I, I asked a lot of, reach out to a lot of family and, and the people who responded and knew that I would like me and the director, uh, Tom Axkmit, we're gonna, you know, do it in a, in a way that was super professional and safest for everyone. Like we want to make everybody feel comfortable. So we used a lot of people who we all know or, or uh, close to us. Yeah, it was extremely well made, man. And, and obviously coupled with the subject matter, it was hard hitting for sure. Thank you. Thank obviously you. The, the trial of the, the four officers involved in George Floyd's murder happens, I believe, in March. I know you've just said you, you're not an advocate for violence whatsoever. What punishment do you think they should receive with this being so close to home for you? Well, I mean... Um, you read a lot of stuff. I'm also understanding that like, depending on where you get, you know, depending on where you consume your media from, it can be skewed one way or another to, you know, make someone either look worse or look better or paint them in a different light or whatever. So the, all the, all the normal things happen with this, you know, the minute that it was found out that he had actually indeed, you know, like he, he died, what did they do? They turned to, Oh, well he was on drugs, you know, which is the normal default or, or, or he was a criminal which is usually the first thing they try to say. So I think for me, because all that doesn't matter because a police officer put his knee on his neck. If he's not directly putting officers in danger, making them fear for their lives, there's no excuse to put him in a hold that way. And especially once he is subdued, I mean, there's three grown men sitting on him and one happens to just put a knee on his neck. Like there's no excuse. Now the two officers who are holding him the ones who are not on his neck, obviously, do I believe that they're complicit? Yes, I do. Yeah. But do you know when I when I find out that this is those dudes' second day on the job, and they're taking their cues from Derek Chauvin, who's the officer with his knee on his neck, who's a twenty-year vet, and the other uh, the Asian officer involved, I can't recall his name right now. But when I hear that those two are you know the senior officers, it makes me think like, well, why do you have two? senior officers rolling around in a squad together and two officers who this is their second day on the job in a pandemic 
in a car together? Like, who are they supposed to defer to if they get in a jam like they did that day? Why wouldn't you split the senior officers up and the brand new officers? There's a whole, like that in itself shows, you know, like, yeah, you guys are doing, you guys are going about this the wrong way. That should never be the case. You shouldn't have two brand new officers in a squad together. There should be one veteran and one young one. So that way, you, you know, he, idealistically, he can show him how to go about this in the right way. But when the senior officers who are supposed to understand these, you know, how things are supposed to transpire in these situations are the ones perpetrating the most violence to them. Now that just speaks to, that's an understood behavior. Like it's, so it's understood that this is acceptable behavior. So I think, you know, for me, the harshest judgments that could be put forth should be, I mean, you know, I don't understand how that, how that's not considered murder. And I think they charge them with what it's second degree manslaughter now is, is the charge. Yeah. The most recent one that I heard. So at the very least, it should be second degree homicide. In my opinion, you know, obviously they're trying to not charge them with the harshest thing so, because yeah. they're trying to go with the assumption that if you charge them with a lesser crime, it's easier to get a conviction. But I mean, it's on camera. There's no, you know, you can't dispute what everybody's seen a hundred times. So I, you know, I think for Chauvin, I think that he needs to spend the rest of his life in prison. That would just be my, and then it makes me also wonder like, well, the Asian officer involved, the other senior officer should also spend a considerable amount of the rest of his life in prison because he understood that that's not right to do in that situation. But then there's a bunch of nuanced things. Like, you know, you find out that Chauvin and George Floyd probably knew one another. Mm. So then it makes you think like, well, if you knew this man, why were you doing that to him? Yeah, unless you've got a negative perception already. Exactly. Yeah. Unless, it, unless it was, you know, and that and that brings into the play like, well, was it premeditated? Did you do this on purpose to this man because he slighted you in some way, or because you didn't like something that he had done to you previously, or didn't like him in general? So, I think you know, and the younger officers, you know, they should get some kind of you know punishment. But I don't know what you do to a dude who's just listening to senior officers, you know, tell them what to do, because I, I don't. I also I don't want to act like people don't make mistakes and and. and that doesn't excuse the fact that a man lost his life that day because there should be some kind of recourse. But yeah, I think the two senior officers, in my opinion, you know, they need to go to prison for, like I said, the one who put his knee on his neck for the rest of his life and the other one who let him do it and held people at bay while they tried to get him off of him. He also needs to spend the vast majority of his days in prison. Well, thanks for your thoughts on that, man. It's insightful to hear someone as close to the situation as you talk about it. So, thank you. A few quick-fire questions, um, just so people can get to know you better as well. What's your favorite food? Favorite food? Uh, That's tough. I mean, I really like... I prefer grilling above anything else, but in terms of, like, food that I can't always get, it would probably be, like... Like my wife makes phenomenal mac and cheese. And so that's probably one of my like favorite foods uh, because I can't do it like that. So, you know, I'd obviously, I'd obviously go with that. Nice. Favorite Brother Ali track? Oh, that's a tough one. Very tough um, one. Yeah, I would say I really like um, Uncle Sam Goddamn, but I would probably have to say if I could pick anyone, it would be either... Uh, Forrest Whitaker or uh, the one with Freeway too. That the it's called the Truth, I believe. That one is dope too. With uh, I think that's a Jake one song. Yeah, that wasn't wasn't on the album, was it? But it was released closely to. Yeah, it, yeah. It was, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was a Jake One song, I believe. But, but yeah, that was dope. That was dope too. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Favorite atmosphere track? Had to ask you. Smart One Crazy. Oh, okay. Nice. Because, and I, and I told you, like, how I'm in recovery, and uh, that album to me is their greatest album, Same. just personally. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I loved it because he is supposed, like, on the cover of the album, he's an AA. And I think that's really what made me be like, man. And like listening to his bars in there, I was like, especially like you know when you, there's like a there's like a run of three or four songs where Smart One Crazy is. It's like pour me another Smart One Crazy, and then but that whole little run, Smart One Crazy being my favorite, but that whole little run of that album, I'm like, man, this is like gives give me a huge respect for you know like him as a writer, you know. Because even the core, it's, it's a catchy song, but it's about, you know, like ridiculous shit. And like, you know, so to have somebody, you know, make a song like that, I was like, man, that's so dope. Yeah, I agree. Either that or The Waitress. I, I, li- I like Smart One Crazy or The Waitress because his storytelling too is, I think he may be the best storyteller who's ever rapped. Yeah, yeah. I think mine's got to be uh, Always Coming Back Home to You. I think that's, that's probably yeah. my favorite. Yeah. Fucking love that song. Oh yeah, so good. Oh yeah. Um, Held it in my hand, thinking, "Damn it, it's heavier than expected." Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, best Eminem album. I'd have to say, for me personally, um, the Marshall Mathers LP is probably my favorite. Obviously, some shady is like when we all, you know, kind of discovered them. Either that or uh, what was one before that? Kind of obscure one uh infinite yeah infinite and then he had the he had one with outside was the outsiders too where he was on there a bunch and the rockish shit um so yeah i'd have to probably say uh the martial medicine lp although um just from a technical rap standpoint um these music to be murdered by joints have been pretty insane like he's rapping you know just the way he's structure and his bars now is kind of like bonkers i mean i heard that nat the other day and i was like you know and I, again like for slim like he's just incredible at rapping a lot of his content is stuff that i wouldn't you know i'm like but he, I, he's such an incredible fucking writer and rapper how do you not at least you know show respect to that aspect of it it's just he's incredible you know yeah and all yeah for sure. so i've not heard the b-side Music to be murdered by. Um, that came out. That came out recently. So you rate that. You rate that as well. I've only. I've only heard the first couple of tracks, and it was. Eh, I wasn't. I sure. haven't. I. I have not heard the. Uh, I have not heard the whole thing yet. But I've heard. You know, just obviously that Nat song. I think I heard one called Zeus, where he references a bunch of you know his. What seems to be never-ending beefs with people, you know, <laughs> and uh, you know. So I, I've checked out a couple tracks. I haven't. I haven't like sat down. And listen to an Eminem album, probably since the Marshall Mathers movie. You wow! Know? Like it actually like sat and like listened to every song, uh, because it was a long time there where I felt like you know like all that uh, I'm not afraid stuff where I just <laughs> I could not, you know what I mean? Yeah. I just couldn't. And you know it's not a shot at him. It's just you know like that's just not. I don't want to hear anybody rap over songs like that. You know, it's kind of it just seemed a little cornball to me. You know, like, and I understand. You know, for somebody that's probably their favorite Eminem song, but <laughs> definitely not me. So, <laughs> no, I, I agree, man. I agree. 
Uh, best album of 2020. You're not allowed to say Visceral, though. Uh, I'd say probably the the um, the, the Freddie Gibbs Mad Lib joint. If I had to pick one right this second. Because I, I guess I haven't really listened to so much of the, the Griselda dudes as, as I would have liked to. So, but that okay. Freddie Gibbs and uh, what's the what's the latest one called? It starts with L. I'm not sure, man. I've not heard that one. I'm not a big Madlib okay, fan. Okay, gotcha. Not a big Madlib fan at all. Man, yeah, and and you know, there's there's projects of his where I haven't been, you know, completely into them. But together, you know, there's something about chemistry that just, you know, there's guys who are such good artists that they can make an album together and it'll sound good. But you can tell something's just slightly off. You know, like maybe they don't like really like each other very much or the styles just don't vibe together like that. Yeah. But those two together to me, like, man, I, I just love the shit. And, you know, again, <laughs> Gibbs is like a super, super thugged gangster dude. But, you know, I really like them together. I think that their shit meshes super well and it just sounds great every time I hear it. Another one to check out, man. So we've got Pop Smoke and Freddie Gibbs. Yeah, yeah. Okay, last one. Uh, favorite boxer or UFC fighter? Um, so for UFC, it's Jean Bon Jones. Uh, and I know he's got a lot of problems with, like, you know, keeping himself eligible to fight and shit. But yeah. when he is good, oh, what? Well, and maybe now it's Israel Aden, what is his last name? Aden Saya or something like that. The, the, what do they call him? The, uh, Mindbender. Yeah, that kid's dope. He's dope. And as far as a boxer, my my favorite boxer, you know, and I think different eras just like this era is real bad for boxing. And I think that has to do with, you know, some of those cats who would have been boxers just being UFC fighters now. Because, you know, I think that if uh if Wilder and Joshua would have fought before Joshua lost, that would have been like one of the greatest bouts, you know, in a long time. And, you know, maybe not because boxing is also about styles and maybe the styles wouldn't have been very, you know, well suited to go against each other and have it be an actual good fight. But my greatest boxer of all time, like the one who I've watched, you know, consistently was Roy Jones until he started moving up in weight class because I had never seen anybody mm. box quite like Roy Jones. He was so much quicker, but still had knockout power. He'd hold his head out and chicken fight with dudes in the ring. And, you know, when you're going against other professional athletes and you're so fast that you can put your hands behind your back and hold your head out and wait for them to swing and counter before they can hit you, like, that's a different level of skill than I've, you know, seen someone exhibit in a boxing before. So, but then obviously you started moving up weight classes that got beat up pretty bad. But right now, I, I say probably Crawford or I don't think he's really been tested though either by anybody who I would, uh, what's his name, uh, Errol. Errol Spence. Yeah, Errol Spence is kind of dodging them. Like, they need to fight. Yeah. That's what really hurt Roy and, and De La Hoya. Because I remember when Roy started trying to drop weight for De La Hoya, De La Hoya ran from him and dropped weight. I think that's what hurt his legacy. Because those two should have fought. Roy tried to go up after that. And got a, you, know, you shouldn't be trying to fight heavyweight, bro. No, I agree. He suffered the other week. <laughs> um, if you like if you like Roy Jones mm -hmm. um, and that quick movement and the evasive sort of cocky approach, there's a there's a young lad from England, if you if you like boxing, called uh, Josh Kelly. Josh Kelly. Who is fucking yeah, watch him. He's fighting on the thirtieth of uh, January for his first European title, but yeah, his movement is insane. There was a young dude from over there, um Yard. Is that Anthony Yard? Is he still fighting? Yeah, yeah. 
He got beat. Did he? Two, three weeks ago. Oh, okay. okay. He, looked, he looked shocking. Every other fight, he looked amazing. Even when he lost, um, even when he lost, he still looked amazing in that fight. Kovalev. He lost to gotcha, Kovalev. Gotcha, okay. Um, that was yeah. about a year and a bit ago. Oh, man. And, uh, I, I wonder why I stopped hearing about him. He, he, yeah, he got his head just jabbed off. Yeah. He... he yeah, it was it was a good fight to watch, but yeah, he's he's a nice guy. I met him. He's he's a uh, he's a nice guy. Oh, that's tight. He'll come back. I watched his first few fights. Uh, the sheer speed, and talent, and and, uh, and power. I was like, that could be bad if he really gets it down. The potential is certainly there for sure. Definitely, man. He's got that good evasiveness as well. So before we shoot off, man, where can yeah. people follow you? Where can they hear more about you? What are the plans for the future? Gotcha. So, you know, I'm just still just working on projects. I'm actually going to, this next project, I'm going to try to produce myself and, you know, try my hand at producing a few songs here. And it may just be an EP or something, just something to put out real quick and see how people perceive it. But uh, you can find me in any, so any social media platform, it's just at half dozen. And, you know, obviously I'm sure you put how the name is spelled <laughs> and uh <laughs> but you can also just go to half dozen.com which is h-a-p-h-d-u-z-n.com and they all have any link to all of my social media projects merchandise that we have for sale or whatever so, you have access to it all through, through that medium awesome okay man well thank you very much for taking the time out thank you very much for having me and i really appreciate it really appreciate it truly my pleasure man Massive thanks to Jordan for taking the time out to speak to me. If you get a chance, take a look at the video for his song Guilty. You will not be disappointed. As always, please hit subscribe or share this episode with someone. It's a great help and it will allow me to keep inviting exciting guests onto the show. On the next episode, I talk to personal trainer and fashion model Josh Lamptey. Catch you then.